bit less energetic to open this show. It's because the Frogs lost 41-38 to at home to an undefeated SMU. Our crosstown rivals drive over and regain the iron skillet for the first time since 2011. First loss for the Frogs to SMU since they joined the Big 12. My goodness, there was a lot that went wrong in this game. There are a few things that went right that we will uh, lift up, but we're going to talk about everything that happened in this game, that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Jeremy and Daniel, this there's just no way to, to put uh, lipstick on this pig. The Frogs lay an egg at home, 41-38, to 38, against the SMU Mustangs. It's, it's undeniable. Sonny Dykes has got that program rolling in the right direction, and it's not simply him building on what Chad Morris did. Sonny Dykes can coach. He's proved that, and he's doing a great job at what he's going to turn into a competitive team in the AAC this year. That conference is wide open, especially with UCF going down to Pitt. The Frogs did not look strong in this game. They did have some things that went right. We're going to look at every single angle. So let's just kind of start with this. This is a, you know, we haven't had to talk about a loss like this in a while. So I've tried to be creative in how we dig into this. But Jeremy, I want to start with you. Then this is going to go to Daniel. And then I'm going to give my answer. Describe this word, this game in one word, and then tell us why it's that one word. Jeremy, good to have you tonight. What's your word to sum up the SMU loss? Disappointing. What makes it so disappointing? Stating the obvious question. <laughs> well, you just got to look at it and consider SMU arrival and TCU's kind of owned the series 17 of the last 19, 11 of 12, and they haven't lost since 2011. And you had a lot rotting high uh, for this season. They're 2-0, and and you're thinking, okay, well, SMU's coming over, and you don't want to have to listen to your uh, – rival buddies or anyone talk about SMU, how they beat you. And it's just when you lose to SMU, no matter what, it's going to be disappointing. But, you know, there's there's a lot of season left. And luckily that wasn't a Big 12 game. And hopefully the Brocks can get it turned around. Hard to argue with any of that. Daniel, what's your one word and why does that sum up this game? Crap. No further commentary needed, correct? <laughs> well, I was going to do what Gary told Landry Burdine running off the field at Oklahoma a couple of years ago, but oh, this is yeah. a family show. This is a family show. So <laughs> I went with the substitute. Yeah. Crap works just fine. You know, I went with the word inevitable because the last several SMU games, and you kind of got to go back to 2014 for the last time we really blew the doors off from start to finish. We've let SMU hang around the first half for a long time now. You know, I, that 2015 game where the Frogs ended up 11-2 and two and in the top 10, they did not look great against SMU in that game. 2016, same thing. 2017, uh, you know, we ended up winning by obviously a couple of touchdowns, but there were, there were some moments where they, you know, Chad Morris poured everything out that he had. Last year, same thing. Rain delay in Dallas. Ugly game, Friday night. It uh, Frogs ended up taking control by the time the game ended. But if you let SMU hang around long enough over a period of time, season after season, it's going to come back and bite you. And what felt like an, it just felt inevitable because there, there's so many emotions that swirl around this game. And, you know, I don't want to get into the should we play SMU or not. But the fact of the matter is we play them. We played them yesterday. 
and we did not play well. So this seemed inevitable because SMU is bringing everything that they have to the table in this game. Sonny Dykes wanted to get this win on the wall. This is one of those things that, heck, I mean, if SMU is 8-0, this is going to, if the Frogs can at least rebound, this is going to look good for the committee when they start to, you know, rank who is the top gang of five school, the top G5 school, in order to uh, place them for the playoffs. So my word is inevitable. It happened. It was. It looked like it was going to ca- happen. I bounced back and forth between being really confident and being scared to death all week. But the fact of the matter is it happened, and I'm not all that surprised. Ga- you know, first drive, I was like, oh, crap. This is, this is not a good start for the Frogs, and this is the year that they're going to take it. So it seemed inevitable, and the inevitable finally became the immediate, and the Frogs lost. I, oh. I can I can tell I can tell you just walking around on the field. Me and Drew Davison were walking around, and um, you could just sense the emotion coming from the SMU players was at a higher level than what it was from TCU. And Gary even said that after the game, he said it was a bad week for practices. They weren't really into it. SMU, Sonny Dykes is a good coach, and the one thing I noticed about just watching them in person, and I watched the game again today, I I just didn't realize. They need to tra- change their name to Transfer Portal U because, seriously, a lot of those players that were making plays for them, they're all transfers. They literally built that roster within a year and a half of the playmakers they have. Shane Bouchel, the corners that were on Jalen, UCLA, there's another guy, that, the guy that uh, leads the team in sack and is tied for the lead in the nation, the the linebacker, uh, Golly, what is his name? Number two. He's from Illinois. But that Zach Abercrombie, the guy everyone wanted here at TCU, but they didn't have a spot. He's at, He was from Rice, and Michigan was looking at him. But they had a, a Reggie Roberson, West Virginia. Uh, they had a ton of guys that just were basically instant playmakers for them. And they don't look like the same old SMU that, that we've all watched uh, previously in, in the last 15 years. Obviously, Cortland Sutton and Trey Quinn were – playmakers as receivers for their offense a few years ago but just top to bottom they they look like a different SMU team and I really didn't notice that until I was on the field before the game and just standing really close to those guys yeah these are not guys that are low three stars that just somehow ended up at SMU because hey they got to fill their roster you know transfer portal giveth and taketh away and sometimes a kid leaves because he got beat out or, you know, he didn't measure up. And sometimes he got beat out by a kid that might be all conference and he could have been starting at any other power five school. It just didn't work out at that position at that school. Sonny Dykes, man, he clearly knew how to deal with the, the waiver wire, brought those guys in, built a uh, built a team with a bunch of mixed match, mixed match players. And it worked. I mean, there there is just no denying. I mean, where they are is strong and solid and they got a big win over TCU, and uh, again, you can debate all you want whether you like playing this game or not, but it was played and the Frogs lost, so that that, that they've been able to build a good roster, and, and they were able to take it to the Frogs on Saturday. I think the biggest difference, if, if you look at it, and we all talked about this after the game, and me and Carlos Mendez were talking about it, the big difference was Shane Bouchot. I mean, I, I it just goes without saying that this was really, and Carlos made a good point to me at after the game, he said this was really the first time that they've had a good quarterback that didn't make mistakes and kind of a veteran out there. He's, he's seen TCU's defense a few times, and it, it was very obvious that he was making pretty good decisions. He did throw that one interception to Ardarius, 
But overall, he did a great job with his feet. He did a great job throwing the ball. Those deep balls to, to Roberson were just perfect. I mean, they couldn't have been thrown any better. And, you know, the guy he was attacking on those routes, Jeff Gladney. And Jeff Gladney that, got burnt, that's the, burnt like toast four yes, or five I mean, times. Yeah, he was he was getting beat. And I, someone made a point on the board talking about Sonny Docks and everyone, a lot of those uh, coaches over there at SMU being familiar with what TCU does. It's not only that they they might know the signals or they, they might watch them on TV still or whatever. They were around the program, especially Sonny Docks and a guy like David Grew, who's the receivers coach over there now. Trey Haverty was the defensive uh, defensive coach for TCU. But recently with Dykes and Grew, them having a chance to be out there, watch practices, they saw these tendencies from these kids. They, they might have known, hey, if you break in on Gladney, you're going to be able to run right bomb. And that's what Roberson was doing. He was running that fake slant and going upfield, and Gladney was biting on it every time. And that's that's some of the things that I think where SMU did have an advantage with Dykes and uh, and David Grew because they knew the tendencies of not only Gary Patterson's calls, uh, how he plays the defense, but some of the weaknesses those individual players have on defense. Yeah, there's a lot that contributed to this. I think the coaching staff, I think uh, obviously Sonny, Sonny Dykes and some of those guys you mentioned, especially Trey Haverty, they know they know a lot of what's going on around the prog- program. They know the tendencies of the players. You know, I was going to ask this later in the, in the show. I'll just ask you right now, Jeremy. Is there any truth to what Coach Patterson said that they knew the defensive signals? And then I got a follow-up question that is going to uh, – make some people a little frustrated or, or, or they'll agree with me. So, so let's start with this. Is there any truth to what coach Patterson said about them knowing the signals on defense? Well, that's what he said. He was saying that the defensive players were coming over when he was calling it out, that the players could hear SMU coaches calling it out, what they were going to be doing. We asked Garrett about it and Garrett kind of seemed dumbfounded with the question. He, he said, I don't have a comment on it, but I don't know if he was commenting because, or, using that uh, response because he really didn't want to say anything. But if he, if he continued to listen to his interview, he, he came back and said, I didn't hear anything. So he was, he said he was too busy playing his position to worry about their, the SMU sideline hearing anything like that. So I don't, I, I don't think Garrett was one of the guys that were telling coach P that. So I don't know where the truth lies. It's, it's probably somewhere in between. So if you have nine full-time assistants and three of them are filled with people that have coached with Coach Patterson, why in the world would they use the same defensive signals that a third of their staff would know that they could break down and show to people and, and put eyes in the box and put eyes on the opposite side of the field and be able to decipher what those are? Is, is there any way in the world that this this team with all of these resources and all of this experience is still rolling out signals that a third of the people across the field would know what that means just by watching the signals come in. So I don't, I don't know. I guess I would say, what if that is true? I don't think that part's true because Gary is smart enough to change his signals. He's not going to keep the same signals that he had two years ago. He's, he's constantly changed just like for offense, they're changing stuff that they use for offense, but as far as like if if you if you're talking about a chess match and where they would have had an advantage, what I mentioned earlier about player tendencies and 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 really, Sonny was there for a year and he was there kind of as an analyst and kind of as a consultant. He knows the way Sonny thinks. 
Sonny's going to call this and, and Sonny Docs is going to be like, yeah, that'll work. Or yeah, you probably need to tweak this a little bit. So he know it's like one of his pupils for a year. I mean, that's basically the reason why Sonny Docs was there because that was the first year Cumby was calling plays and you have a, a guy that's pretty good offensive mind uh, that was there behind him saying, yeah, do that or, or, or no, don't do that. And so it's kind of like the, the teacher and the student philosophy, I guess you could say. Um, but as far as the, the going back to your question about the signals, I, I don't think there's any truth to that. I, I, I think, I think Gary is smart enough. At least we all hope that, that, that he changed the signals uh, before they played that game, at least before the season even started as well. Even though he said as much at the postgame presser. That they well, were let me able tell you, this, this is what I'll tell you. There's, there are people that dissect games, and there's, there's so many people that are involved in, in, in watching the video and breaking down things. They've got people that all they do is watch the sideline, watch the signals for it, the, because they get different. They get the, the all 22. Act. They, they, that's what their film looks like. It's not like they're getting filmed from a TV camera. So they're getting it based on all 22. So they're seeing signals and they're watching these coaches. What signals are they doing? Okay. What, what plays are coming out of these signals? And they study that they study, study, study. And sometimes if you don't change it on a weekly basis, you're going to get, sorry for lack of better terms, caught with your pants down. But I mean, that's, that's, that's the way college football is moving. You got guys that that's all that that's literally all they do in an office for eight or nine hours a day is dissect the way a, a video and the way the signals are to relay or relay to their players on the field. So it's, it's something that's ever changing. All right. I'll let up on that, but if there's truth to the fact that they're able to see from previous employment, what our signals are and know that this means that that's frustrating. I'm going to, I'm going to big, I'm going to, I'm just going to back off of that because if it's true, that's terrible, but I don't know that I don't think it's true but I did, I did read and see and listen to everything he said at the press conference, and it made it sound as if he was saying they knew what our signals were because they had worked here. So I'll, I don't I'll say to, this: there, there, there's truly only one play that I could think of that might have had they might have had an advantage on with the signals, and that's when they did the flea flicker on that first series. And, okay, but other than that, if you if you go back and watch that game, there's no. There, there's no secret that you can run if you're having success throwing the deep ball you're running right by the corner and he's got to make a stop I mean you can know all the signals in the world but your players still have to execute what's being given to them and yeah. the fact of the matter is if you go back and watch that game it's not like SMU was attacking them in areas they weren't it's just they just beat them man on man I mean just they simple truth of it they just out coached them they beat them and, and that's they knew they knew where the weaknesses were, and they knew the they knew TCU's tendencies on defense where they were weak, and they knew where they could hit them on offense, and that's that's something that they've been able to study. And as far as the signals go, I mean, like I said, you can you can know them, but you still have to execute them. And, and yeah. plain and simple, TCU's defense they I, I don't even remember how many long plays they allowed, but it was too many, too many. All right, let's do some assessment on both sides of the ball. Daniel, we'll start with you. What grade are you going to give the TCU offense in this game? They put up 38 points against against SMU. Give us your grade for the offense. 
I'm going to go with a solid C for crappy. <laughs> um, no, it was it was frustrating. Uh, C minus maybe because I mean, outside of Darius, well, Darius and then Pro Wells, um, pretty much carried it. It it was the it's still the the you know twelve foot high passes, um, fumbling. Just it's just madness. But they they still managed to score thirty eight. <clears throat> A lot of people say that should win you the game. Maybe try that with Oklahoma. Um, but it. it mm. It, it, it felt a lot better there towards the end, things uh, towards the end of the game. Things really felt like they were clicking like they, they should have been, at least uh, for the most part. Uh, but just that first half just felt like a disaster. And um, so, yeah, C minus. But, but what really shined was uh, Darius Anderson and Pro Wells. Yeah, the offense was inconsistent. That's the best way to put it. It started slow, and then it kind of got slower, and then it got slower. And then we at least got some points on the board before the uh, before halftime. Things really clicked in the second half, though. You know, I do remember when when Max was one and eleven in the uh, in the first half, but he completed a you know I think he was eleven or fourteen in the second half. Did a much better job in the second half. That's part of the slow start. That's that's part of the the bet, the gamble that so many people wanted to make, which was, hey, let's take our lumps with the guy that we know is the future. I think most people just thought their lumps would be we'd lose to Oklahoma, Texas, and Oklahoma State and be 9-3. and three. Well, the lumps that we took is we had a really bad first half on offense and on defense against SMU. And and I think, I think you know, we're going to talk about assessing Max here in a second, but I think what we have to factor in with the offense is when you put yourself in a hole – because of the defense, you're putting it on the shoulders of a freshman quarterback to dig you out of that. And so while the offense did not uh, grade well, in my opinion, I think I'd say C plus B minus second half, much better grade first half, much poorer grade. You've got to factor in the entirety of the game and not just, do you think Max is going to be able to go out there and make a play? Cause he's a four star, you know, th- th- this is the problem of this gamble and, and, and the frogs are kind of living with it. And in some ways, I'm okay with it. I just don't think fans, including myself, thought it would it would uh, play out this way. Jeremy, I'm going to put you on the spot on the defense here in a second, but what's your grade on the offense? I would say kind of the same area, C+. I mean, like you said, you have to you have to grade on the entirety of the whole game. First half was really bad. Max couldn't hit the side of a barn. He was struggling throwing the football, uh, one of ten, but the, the way he finished in the second half – uh, I, I thought we really saw some flashes. The play that really impressed me wasn't even a throw of his. It was just the way he avoided a, a sack and ran downfield, did a sweet spin move, and, and got a first down on a run. He really ran the ball pretty decent yesterday, Yesterday, and um, he did make some good passes. The The fumble's got to get better. He's got to learn to not hold on to the ball so long. Maybe – maybe not keep his eyes downfield as long as he is and just take what the defense is given. That's what Shane Bouchelle did. Shane Bouchelle did not waste any time whatsoever leaving the pocket if, if TCU uh, was collapsing in on it and he didn't have any linebackers around him. He, he took what TCU defense gave him, and that's what Max has to learn to do. But you can't, you can't have fumbles inside your own five-yard line. You can't have fumbles inside your own 20-yard line, and that's, that's part of the big reason why – SMU was able to score. I believe uh, you had 
they were down seven or up seven nothing. They get that turnover, not only get a touchdown, but get a two point conversion. So that's eight points, and they fumble again, and SMU gets a field goal. I think they held them to 11, 11 points on turnover. So that was the difference. That's the difference in the game. But I thought Darius Anderson ran well. And this is what me, Dean, uh, uh, Drew Davison, and Dean Straka talked about when we were leaving the game is if you, if I were to tell you that, that Max Duggan threw three touchdown passes, didn't throw an interception, threw for 188 yards, Darius Anderson rushes for another big game, has 160 yards on the ground, TCU has a team. Rushes for 264. TCU outgains SMU on offense and total yards. Is there any way that TCU loses that game? And both of them immediately said no. And that should tell you right there that this game can't be all on the ineffectiveness of the offense or, or how bad of a game you think Sonny Cumbie did calling it. It, it. You have to look at this whole effort collectively. The offense wasn't good at first, but then the defense, we'll get into that in a second, the defense surely took some lumps as well. I agree with all of that, and that's that's a great transition into what I want to talk about and hear from you about. Jeremy, what is your grade for the defense in this game? Because we've said this, but if you score 38 points against SMU, you should win. We scored 38 points, and we did not win what is your grade for the Horned Frogs against the Mustangs on the defensive side of the ball? C minus. Why is that the case? Well, the, I'm going to give them a break on on having to play that short field. That that that's tough. But they did they did a great job of of uh, the second turnover. They forced a field goal, so that was great. And they and another turn, turnover they had. I don't think SMU put any points on the board. You got one takeaway. Ardarius had a pretty good interception. But the thing that bugged me the most is they are missing LJ Collier and, and Ben Banigou like the desert misses the rain. I mean, mm. you, you're not getting any kind of pass rush from your defensive ends right now. Through three games, the defensive ha- ends have a total of one sack, and that's from Parker Workman in, in, in relief duty. So mm. your starters don't have a sack right now. And, and part of the reason why your defense is successful is, is you got to get pressure on that quarterback. Jeff Gladney had about as bad a game as I can remember him ever having in a TCU uniform. I mean, it, it, it reminded me kind of last of like it was last year against Texas when Colin Johnson kind of had his number, kept beating him on some deep plays. And, and it was one of those games where you got to think the first two games that Pine Bluff or Purdue really didn't want to test him. And SMU was thinking, well, we know it. We know what his tendencies are. We know what moves can get them to spinning, and, and they obviously did that. They had uh, several deep plays. The The safeties did not play well yesterday. Uh, Merrick didn't play well. Ennis Gaines didn't play really well. Uh, they still have trouble covering the flats, the, the bubble routes. The, the run game for SMU wasn't as effective as it was in their previous three games, but Shane Bouchelle did a really good job of escaping the pocket, keeping drives alive with his feet, getting, getting some good gains, and – it, it just really you, you can't you can't give up it even even if you take away that touchdown that was given where they got the ball at the four yard line you're still talking about 34 points at home to to SMU and that's pretty tough you're asking like you said Jeff you hit the nail on the head you, you're you're asking your quarterback to your true freshman quarterback to have to basically go out there and score 40 points to get a win. And in this case, you're asking him to go out there and score 42 points, lead, lead them to 42 points to get a win. I 
the, the two drives that concern me the most, uh, and we'll talk about this play in a minute, but after they tried the Shawa wild frog pass, SMU takes over at their own 16 and they just had, uh, one of their best drives of the night. There's nothing that TCU could do to stop it. They, they went 84 yards, I believe in 10 plays. And that, that was very just tough to watch. There was nothing that Gary could call the, the players weren't executing. And then later in the, I believe in the fourth quarter, it's, it's 38, 24 max gets that touchdown pass to Shawo. It, it's 38, 31. And it seems like all the momentum, is on TCU side, and then SMU comes right back out, and they just have another long drive, and they get the difference in the ball game. They get that field goal to go up chew, forty-one to thirty-one and chew up clock and chew up clock. Exactly right. And you you can sit there and talk about the turnovers and everything else, but I'm talking about two drives right there that were very pivotal in this game that you can't blame on Max Duggan. You can't blame on the receivers dropping. You can't blame on Sonny Cumbie calling a wild play. It's all on the defense. It's all on the calls on the defense, and it's all on the players executing their plays. And there was a few few plays during those drives where they had them pinned deep, and then they just let them go over the top of their heads or let Shane Bouchelle run run wild. And and really, that was that was two drives that you've got to look at and look at your defense and say, hey. We got. We're going to have struggles on offense. We, we've obviously got some inconsistencies in play calling. We can't get number one the football. We've got a true freshman playing quarterback, so we've got to have help in some way. Yes, it, the defense had high expectations going into the year, but I, I told you guys, and Carlos, he, he's probably going to listen to this and and, and smile because he, he he came up to me after the game last night in the press box and said last week you said you weren't going to judge the defense until after SMU. Right now, this defense is not very good. Mm, that's right. You know you know the answer to this question, Jeremy, because I remember us talking about it a little over a year ago. You know what game this reminds me of? Well, it's not as bad as Kansas, so I hope you don't say Kansas. I'm going to say Kansas. It's not as bad as Kansas <laughs> because I don't want to discredit SMU, who I think is going to make a lot of noise in a wide-open AAC. Yeah. But it does make it does remind me of Kansas in that all of the blame goes to the offense, who deserves some. Yes. But where's the accountability on the defense? Why okay. in the world yeah. are we giving up 40 40- why in the world are we giving up 41 points to SMU? Why can we not get off the field when it matters? Why do we, you know, grab momentum in that game where it's a one-score game and then they just kind of march down the field and do whatever they want in two different drives when we should be in a spot to be able to stop them? They just they just march right down the field, put points on the board that that change the trajectory of this whole game. I mean that we'll talk about this in a second, but that 84-yard drive after the the, the wild frog pass, uh, that that was more than seven points. That's all I got to say. That was yeah. more than seven points. If that defense had uh, – I, I, gosh, man, I sound like a Pop Warner coach here from a, the dad that was a, a JV sub his junior year. They need to have some pride. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. they cannot let that happen. If you are uh, aware of game situation, aware of the situation that you have on offense, they know they have to get off the field, and they just got outplayed, outmanned, outschemed, and outcoached. And I'm not coming up with that. I'm quoting Coach Patterson because that was what was going on all around. So 
I'm I'm not pleased with this season. I'm harsher on the defensive side of the ball, coaching and players in scheme than I am on the offensive side of the ball. And I got a lot of bad things to say about our offense. So yeah, I, I think this, like you said, it can it, it does. I, I, I kind of figured you were going to say Kansas, but I, I do give credit where credit is due. SMU is a much better team than I gave them credit for coming into the game. I looked at their schedule and said, yeah. They're going to score points because they're playing Arkansas State. They're playing North Texas, and they're playing Texas State. Just wait until they see this defense that TCU has. It's athletic. It's fast. It's They've got great playmakers in Gladney and Blacklock and Garrett Wallow. And, and Garrett Wallow had 19 tackles, by the way, which is pretty astonishing. I mean, he astonishing. He had a, a he's, he's on pace to break several records. But it, it is one of those things where if you look, if you look back, when, when you look back at the 2014 year everyone is just they they got spoiled because no matter how bad the defense was SM or uh, TCU's offense always bailed them out it just look at the 61 58 loss I don't think anyone was blaming the offense in that game okay they because they scored 58 points 58 points should win you a game but they gave up 61 in this case when your true freshman goes out there and, and, and he played as poorly as he did in the first half but somehow some way you manage their the only time where he had great field position to where you knew they had a great chance to score was when Jalen had that, that 23 yard return down to the 23 on the punt return. And mm-hmm. other than that, he, he had some pretty good drives. Those fourth quarter drives, they were, they were pretty long. And I think you got to look at that and, and have some sort of optimism. Yeah. It's SMU. Yeah. It's your rival. Yeah. You're going to have to take it in the shorts from your buddy at work at the cooler talking about how great SMU is and how, how great Sunny docks is and everything else. And you don't get to brag about that for a year. Your little brother beats you, but SMU is not the same SMU as, as we know. And, and I don't, th- I don't think this is near as bad as the loss to Kansas was last year. The loss to Kansas was their only win in conference. They had never lost to Kansas before in the Big 12. And you're, you you made the perfect point early in the show, Jeff. This was inevitable. You knew at some point that SMU was going to have the talent. And and and, and really, it, they're not talented top to bottom and even depth-wise as TCU, but they do have some playmakers. They have enough guys that can make enough good plays against against TCU and, and the rest of their schedule. I, I definitely don't think this is going to be the last game SMU wins. This is going to be a, a team that I think has a great chance to win eight, nine, ten games, especially in their conference. So we may be looking at this game later in the year and thinking, man, SMU had a really good team. And the, and the knee-jerk fans for TCU, they'll probably be hoping that TCU doesn't lose a lot of recruits to SMU. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got so many tangents I want to chase on that, but I'm going to save it for another day. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, let's get to two things here from you, Jeremy, that I want to hear. Uh, Grade Max Duggan. You've said a whole lot about him, so just short and sweet. Give me your grade on Max, not first half versus second half, but the totality of that game. I'd say a C. And I got to tell you why. C, because he had so many crazy passes early in the game. He was not accurate. But I would give him a B the way he managed the game in the second half. And when Cumbie let him go high tempo, he really started to shine. He really started to hit passes. And, yeah, SMU played a little bit different defense, but you still got to complete those passes. You still got to be able to find those receivers. And he did something that TCU quarterbacks haven't done a lot of recently. You know what that is, Jeff? What's that? 
He found tight ends. He found that position he, called tight oh, end on did. the field. So, you know, Pro Well has eclipsed the uh, touchdown reception mark for tight ends for TCU in the past, like, 17 years probably. I don't know that number, <laughs> but it could be pretty close. It might, you could say it was true and no yeah, one would argue no with you. No one would argue. You're you could exactly say, I right. got this quote from Mark Cohen, and everybody would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes That's what we sense. always do to Mark. If we don't know a stat, he'll, he'll, say, he'll just say something out of the – just random, and he'll always say it's against Rice. Rice is like the team that they did it against. But uh, no, I mean he he was smart uh, later in later in the game, and 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 he showed his flashes. Like I said earlier, he he ran the ball when he needed to, and he he found Pro Wells. That was a good pass. Uh, both touchdowns to Pro Wells, both and, of them. Yeah, and, and really he found some in some long third and long situations. He made some good passes to Dylan Thomas. Dylan came down with him, and and. Uh, for a young quarterback, you're you're leading your team to 38 points. I don't think you can ask for much more. He's going to get better, but the thing about it is he's he still hasn't turned the ball over. And if you look at his stats, he's got five touchdowns now and no interceptions. So you can't ask for much better from a freshman quarterback. Is Sonny Cumbie going to get fired? If they let me let me tell you tell it to you like like this if they're able to go out and average 35 to 40 points and Sonny Cumbie gets fired then I love Gary Patterson but he needs to really go take a look at himself in the mirror if he's firing a guy that's averaging 35 to 40 points and they're losing ball games because it's it's one of those situations where you you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink it and for him they're we're dissecting so much, just like everyone did with Alex Delton. We're, we're dissecting so much because everyone wants it to be done so bad. We're, we're magnifying everything. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend him for that call for Shaywo. That was probably the worst call I've ever seen in a game since I've covered TCU. Okay. I'm with you guys on that. That, that was inexcusable. That was not a good call, but if if he gets fired, it's it's going to be because they're not they're not averaging enough points. This this game, if you're basing, should he be fired off this game? Absolutely not, absolutely not. They scored 38 points. You can't you can't fault him for Shaywo fumble, fumbling the ball at the own four yard line. Okay, you 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 could probably fault the fact that he didn't put Alex Delton in the game, but you also got to look at the point where. The fact that you didn't put Alex Delton in the game, you helped grow up your true freshman quarterback late in the second half, and probably gave him a lot of confidence as we move forward down down the uh, schedule. If he goes out and, and averages 20, 20, 25 points a game, yeah, he's his seat's extremely hot. And I will say this is one of those deals where I kind of raised my eyebrows after the game last night because we got to talk to Sonny Cumbie and in all my years covering TCU, Gary Patterson has never, ever let an offensive assistant, defensive assistant, coordinator, whoever, go in there and talk to the media following a game. Not a regular season. He might have done it in a bowl game, but never in a regular season game. And it it just kind of all got us kind of suspicious on, on the whole deal. It's kind of like Gary, I, I don't even I don't even want to put my foot in my mouth for for saying certain things, but it it's almost like there's it I, I can get a sense where people are seeing that there might be some bad blood, but I don't want to make it into more than something 
that it, that it's not right now. But if Sonny does go out and they don't, they're not successful on the offensive side of the ball. If they're not averaging enough points to Gary's liking, but it, like I said in this long-winded answer in the beginning, if if they're averaging 35 points a game and TC still losing football games, that's not your offense. I'm sorry. It, it, I don't give a care if you play in the Big 12 or not. You've got to you've got to learn how to shut the teams down to scoring less than 40 points. I will agree with about 80 percent of that. So I'll, I'll go with you on that. Tell me the twenty percent you don't agree with. Let's fight. I let's fight. Uh, I think you got to score forty points in the Big Twelve. I I I think you got to score forty points in the Big Twelve. I I put that under this odd statistic: the Frogs don't win eight or nine games. They win six or seven, or they win eleven or twelve. The Frogs are never having. A, a nine and three regular season where they go to the the bowl down in Orlando, whatever that is, where the runner up that doesn't go to the Sugar Bowl goes to. They never have that kind of top flight season where you bounce around at number seventeen all year. They either have a five hundred year where they barely make a bowl, or they are a top ten team. And I think thirty five points makes you that team that we never quite are. And so this is this is me chasing that rabbit I didn't want to chase earlier. <laughs> The problem, so man, I'm 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 all hopped up on Mountain Dew chip. The problem with a program that is so dependent on development means that you get exposed when injuries rack up. Injuries have racked up. That is why we have uh, a redshirt freshman and a true freshman starting in our defensive backfield against a four-year uh, a senior that was starting at the University of Texas as a freshman. And you're you're not able to uh, put you're not able to plug and play as well, and so you've got to score forty points. You've got to be able to go over there and score forty and forty five points to beat some of these teams. And so where I disagree with you is the offense that you're describing never matches a season that we've had since we joined the Big Twelve, and it doesn't match a season that we've had uh, in memory as a Frog fan. Uh, for me, you know, it's either, hey, we're in the top 10 or we're barely breaking yeah. even. We're seven and six in 2012. We're, we're six and seven in 2016. And we're, we're seven and six last year. All those other years, we had a four and eight season or we were in the top 10 or we were we were highly rated in the playoff rankings all year until we, you know, lost a game to Oklahoma State or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think what you're describing doesn't doesn't work for us because it it historically has never worked. We've got to be able to have a top flight defense with an offense that can that can get into a shootout in the Big Twelve. Did you, I mean I watched every second, every snap of that Texas and Oklahoma State game? Is there anything about thirty five points that's going to be either one of those teams? Well, it did for Oklahoma State. <laughs> yeah, I I get what you're saying, but but I also know you can okay. – when you have a good defense like 2014, the only time they, they let a team go over 35 points that whole year was Baylor, and they lost that game. Every other game, the next closest total was 33. They beat Oklahoma 37 to 33. And th- that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I know the defense – I know the defense can, can limit – teams to 30 points if you if you're losing if you're losing games 40 to 35 I, I don't know how you can completely fault the offense in that in that matter I I, I just I just don't know and how I, you can. I 
I agree with you on that. I'm not disagreeing with you on that. And I and I know I'm, I'm going to contra- contradict myself a little bit here. For Max's first game as a starter, 38 points, I'm really happy with that. I'm really happy with that. I, ju- I hope it grows. I hope it continues to develop. If we would have lost uh, – gosh, I'm reaching here. If we would have lost 41-38 in Ames with Max starting, we'd feel a whole lot different than we would losing 41-38 at home to SMU. Yeah. So here's here's that's it's just here's another thing that that and I'm not trying to be the sunshine pumper. People can hate me or whatever, but 38 points and you throw the football or, or you don't throw the football to him because they target him several several times. But Jalen Rager has two catches for two yards, but and you score 38 points. That tells me that you you have this great offensive weapon and you didn't use them, but you still managed to score 38 points. And that that gives me optimism leading, you know, down down the road because you have guys getting involved like Pro Wells, you have guys getting involved like Dylan Thomas. Keep riding the legs of Darius Anderson. Let those offensive line get out there and block for him because he's running the football extremely well right now. And you've got to have those trickery plays like doing the doing the reverse to Jalen where he got twenty nine yards, doing the reverse to Darius Davis where he got nineteen yards. That's that's what's got me optimistic to where the 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 offense is right now. We're gonna see how it is when you play against Big Twelve opponents. But like I said, SMU they may be a G five school. They may play in the AAC. But I'm telling you guys right now, you you can't sit here with a straight face and tell me looking on that field if you're down sitting low and you you can see those SMU players. They, they've got some talented players now. They've got some guys that we're at UCLA, we're at Illinois, we're at Texas, we're at West Virginia. They've got talented players on that roster, and I'm just it, – it's a bad loss. It's a bad loss, but it's also not as bad as people are making it out to be. All right, I'm going to give you each one of you guys four plays here, four plays for all of us to pick from. Which one sucked the most? <laughs> Wild Frog Pass, the Shewo fumble on the four, the 84-yard touchdown drive where the Frogs had pulled within seven, or the second to the last play of the offense of the game for us on offense where we had the third down fumble and stuck us on fourth down. Which you know, Daniel, which of those four uh, do you think stunk the most? Uh, the Wild Frog Pass. That. Um was pretty much the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't think you're going to get much disagreement from the two of us on that. Uh, you know what the worst part about it is? There's no option. There, there, there's only hope that that guy is wide open on something that, let's just be honest, we haven't done a great job of this year, which is catching the ball. And I'm sure Shewo is a great athlete, and he could pound me into sand in two seconds. But Probably how about second. we not – one yeah. second, excuse me. Just yeah. one punch. Uh, I don't – one punch, I'm done. Three hits. He hits me, I hit the ground, ambulance hits the gas. You know, <laughs> oldest joke in the world. Uh, <laughs> that said, man, uh, that's not the play I want to call there. I, when they lined up in the Wild Frog, I was actually like, okay, he's going to get stuffed at the one but reach out like he always does, and they're going to come in and give him one yard by an inch, and I'll be fine with it, and then go punch it in the end zone. I'm going to agree with you. That was that was awful. I watched that. That, that was awful. And there's, there's no defending that. I'm just – there's no defending that. I watched that play about five times when I when I watched it on DVR. And 
I was trying to decipher it because like, SMU just read it perfectly. And the only thing I could think of out of that whole play was that if you go back and watch it, if you see Jalen Rager, Jalen Rager lines up kind of as a wing and they snap the ball and Jalen pretends like he's blocking. And it's almost kind of like those plays where they, they threw it to Kenny Hill and Kenny Hill would catch it. And then they'd do the throwback to Kenny Hill and he'd run it, score like a 40 yard touchdown. It almost looked like that was the play that they were trying to, to develop. And Shaywo didn't see it developing right away. So he immediately looked right or he didn't just, look left at all, but if you watch that pay, play, Jalen was trying to do something. I'm not defending the play. I, I think it was the dumbest play call of the game, but I don't think it's the play call that was – I don't think it's the play that was the worst of the game. The play that was the worst of the game was, to me, probably when you had all that momentum, you're, you're going down the field trying to score or at least trying to tie the game, and that's when Max – that's when uh, Max dropped the snap and you put yourself in a fourth and long, which, by the way – yeah. That fourth and long was not a dumb play call. It was actually a pretty good play call, but the the SMU's defense had a better call because they sent that linebacker right up the B gap, and Max had it, it was basically like watching Tecmo Bowl. You know, when when you're playing someone and they pick the same play as you, and they it's like a 11 man rush. That's about as long as Max had to throw that football. I mean, he took the snap, and the guy was literally in his face. But if you that's another play I dissected over and over and over. If you watch that play, the tight ends did a great crossing route. And if Max would have had about a second to throw, about a second longer to throw, Pro Wells had come wide open, wide open on a drag route. Yeah. And it was there. It was there. But Max just did not have any time to throw that football. That play – you know, I, I saw where Pro Wells was open, but at that play, as well as the the Wild Frog, I'm just going to go back to I'm going to go back to Curtis Looper's quote, and I don't want to run this into the ground all year, but we need to be able to run it when they know we're going to run it, and more importantly, I want the ball in the hands of our best players in those moments in plays that they have uh, exec- that, that don't require perfection to execute. I wish we could have just had Shawo hammer it on, you know, fourth and goal down there. I wish we would have put the ball in Darius Anderson's belly or or find a way to hit Jalen Rager on a quick route. But you know, SMU made a play there, and we didn't. I think so. on that that series of events, you had that's what they were trying to do. They they handed the ball off to Darius. Uh, I'm talking about the last drive, by the way. Uh, they handed the ball off yeah. to Darius on first down, and I I think they. Did they hand it off to him on second down as well? And then third down, I believe third so, down it yes. looked like they were getting ready to hand it off to him again. And that's when Max dropped the dropped the snap. And so really you put yourself in that third and long situation where you, you can't really No, no, no. Or fourth and long situation. No, let me interrupt you. This is I had this in my notes and I forgot I can't believe I let you get through saying that. We did not hand it to Darius Anderson on first down or second down or third down. You know who we handed it to? No. Amari Di Mercado. Really? Why am I I'm reading it here on the play sheet that uh that that's who we handed the ball off to. I could have swore it was it was uh, Darius out there, but at least they tried to run the football. <laughs> they were trying to run it, but they just weren't getting very many yards from it. Yeah. 
we were not getting any. Uh, DeMarcado up the middle for five yards on first down at the 41. Gets us to the 36, uh, two-yard gain. Third and three, Max rushes up the middle where you you got the, the bumble there. And um, then an incomplete pass on fourth and three. Let me just add this uh, thing because everybody's complained about it. You don't need to add on to it. Jonathan Song can't hit that field goal, and I bank on fourth and three with our playmakers more than I do Jonathan Song on so a 50 field goal. So where were they at on that? I, were they at the 34? They were at the 34, take 34 at 17. It's a 51-yard field goal. He can't hit People a 51-yard. He he's, he's yet to if, – if, I, I saw him hit a 61-yard field goal in high school. Somebody said that to me. Whatever. This is what I know. If it's fourth and three to, and we have time on the clock, there's still two minutes. You know, there's still time on the clock. Uh, you've got to be able to put the ball in your hand. I, I trust. I trust Darius Anderson and Jalen Rager yeah. more than I trust Jonathan uh, to get three more than I do Jonathan Song to hit a fifty. See, That's the easiest way for me to put it. So, so they had a they had a second and five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, had that's the easiest way for me to put third, it. Third down. They. They lost yards. Mm-hmm. It was second or third. Okay. Oh, it was third. It was third. It was third. It was third and three. But then Max dropped yes. the dropped the ball. Did he get back? No, to they the picked line? up five. Yeah, they he got picked back up to the line two. Of scrimmage. I remember that. Okay. So. Yeah. The, line of scrimmage. the thing about yeah. it is, yeah. and and people can mm-hmm. talk about it till they're blue in the face. These these coaches they they watch tendencies and when you're going out there if you get to those games about an hour before the game you'll always see the kickers out there they're always going through their motions and everything else and they're based what their job is is those coaches their job is to to put those kickers through every kind of field goal they can and and that's why you had the the ice the kicker thing last year in the cheese it bowl because the the coaches were telling patterson hey he he didn't make it this far in pregame or he didn't make it he wasn't consistent so Gary gets that information. It's not like he's just – he doesn't have anything to go off. He doesn't – and, and they see these guys in practice. They see these guys in practice. They know even, – even Tim Brando on the, on the replay today said that Gary Patterson told him that Jonathan Song's long or where he trusts him the most is between 42 and 44 yards. I mean, there's – you guys could be pissed off all you want, but the coach is going to know the best. He's going to know the best. And if you got a guy that you know 44 yards is is the best for him and where he's most consistent, and you're lining him up to go 51 mm-hmm. yards, you're right, Jeff. I would rather put the 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 ball in your playmakers' hands. Get get fourth and three. Let them get three yards before you have someone go out there and and not be able to make the field goal. Yeah, I see it now too. Yeah. Yeah, I've confirmed it on two play on two uh, play charts now. That was Demar, yeah, Demarcado no. carrying the ball. Uh, it with two minutes left in the game, driving to win the game. That's uh, that's not who I want in there. There might be something I don't know. There might be something I don't know, but that's not who I want in there. So, all right, let's we've 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 man, we've talked a lot about this. I'm Anything done. else from this game? Either of you want to want to add before we get to some other games? Get a recruiting update and do, do some predictions. <laughs> there he is. Yeah. Okay. I'm done. Daniel, you done? The legend lives. Yes. 
got to wake him up there, man. Got to wake him up. All right. A few, yeah, the legend. All right, a few other games, one of which I want to laugh about, but uh, Aggies lose at home to Auburn. That's one game to laugh at, not the one I was going to laugh at, but the Aggies lose at home to Auburn. I've already seen that they are believing this will be the best 7-5 and five team in history. So the frog, or the Aggies lose to Auburn. Yeah. Texas yeah. beats Oklahoma State in what was a great, a fun game to watch. Uh, the thing that scared me the most is Spencer Sanders is a baller. I mean, that kid is uh, – yeah, that guy's got a lot of talent. Georgia beats Notre Dame in a game that I could have slept through. Baylor beats Rice 21-14. But the real game that I want to talk about, and I did not stay up for this, and I saw this this morning when I woke up. I could not believe that this is actually what happened. But Washington State blows what was a bigger lead than the Frogs had in the Alamo Bowl 32 points to UCLA. So I'm pulling up the play sheet on that. UCLA wins 67 to 63. They gave up a 32 point lead. And at one point, let me see here, I have this right. At one point in the third quarter, when Washington State scored with uh, with 349 left in the game, it's 49-17 Washington State, and UCLA comes back to win 67 to 63. I got to find this on a. I mean, the craziest game ever. I mean, that had to have been the craziest game ever, and I slept through it. I mean, you got to blame Leach for being complacent. You have to. 67. I mean, that that it's all on him. That UCLA offense. Uh, I mean, yeah, that UCLA offense—they they hadn't done jack squat all all year. They hadn't done jack squat all year. And then Washington State, man, they—I they, don't know if their defense was gassed. I obviously haven't seen anything of this game, but that's a wild one. <laughs> I'm being. Sarcastic, I know you are. I know you are. <laughs> for the for the people listening right now, I am being sarcastic. Their defense was, oh my gosh, they were tired, yeah. man. They were. It, it was a fun game to watch. It yeah, and and. I was kind of I was happy for Chip Kelly. I and I I love Mike Leach too, but I was happy cuz Chip, man, that dude was on a tremendous hot seat out there in Los Angeles and it was it, you could tell he was really happy to get the win. Yeah. But man, you talk about two teams that didn't know how to play defense in the in the third and fourth quarter. Oof. Yeah, that was a rough one. That was a rough one. So All right, uh Give us an update. We had a decommitment from LSU that you may have been hinting at for a couple of weeks. Give us an update on uh, decommitment on the defensive line from LSU, four-star, out of the boot. Give us his name. Give us an update. Do the Frogs have a chance with Patrick Jenkins? Yes, Patrick Jenkins. He was the guy that I was referring to. I I kept hearing that he was going to decommit. And like I told you guys on the post I made, I keep hearing it, keep hearing it. And I finally made a post that said, what the heck? I'll go ahead and put it out there because I was told like, it's happening tonight. It's happening. And it didn't happen. So I kind of had egg on my face, but it did finally happen. And I'll just say that TCU has a a really, really good chance right now. Anytime we can land a four-star defensive tackle, especially one that can come in and play opposite of Carter Johnson. That's a good day. That's a very, very good day. I've heard he's supposed to, he's he's supposed to be making uh, a commitment sometime in October. Okay, so that's, could could be happening relatively that's soon. Good. Hey, I didn't get a chance. I forgot to bring this up. Uh, I we haven't confirmed the name, so I'm not going to pin this on anybody. But man, I'd like to talk to the guy that turned the SMU right 
tackles helmet into a shot put or discus really he launched that thing <laughs> 30 yards 35 yards if you were watching the game on tv like i was you were like what is sunny dyke so mad about that's not pass interference i couldn't find any targeting yeah. and then they finally were able to break it down to what it was and i was like oh my gosh that was uh that was quite a launch whoever it was he might be you know have a spot for on the track team and he's lucky he didn't get caught he might have got kicked out of the game yeah, that was – we were all focused on Ardarius making the interception. Then we looked up. I personally looked up and thought it was like some student had a beach ball and the beach ball had landed on the field and it was rolling down. And I didn't realize it was a helmet till about a split second later. And I think I thought, man, someone's – and we were trying to figure out how in the heck did that helmet go flying like that? And then by the time they showed the replay on the TVs in the press box, that's when – uh, Darius was running his 77 yard run. So I really didn't pay attention to mm-hmm. it. And it's like the greatest mystery, man. I don't know who did it. Now, like no one can figure out who did it. And if you know this, let us know if you're at the game and you could tell what number that was, please let us Cause know. Cause they could not figure out who it was on the, on the telecast They They, they could not figure out who it was. So I got to, I, I got to see who that was. I got to see who was in the game on that play, get inside some uh, drive boxes and see who that was. So whoever was playing left end, I think it was left end. So, yeah, we could. That's usually Oshan's spot. Yeah, but I'm not it, it was it an Oshan, though. From what I could tell, there was no hair from what I could tell. So I do not believe it was Oshan, but it might have been. But I don't want to give him credit or blame for, for that. So. All right, let's get into some predictions. Uh, let's. We're just going to stick with the Big Twelve. There's not a lot of exciting stuff outside of the Big Twelve this week, but there's a lot going off going on on the Big Twelve slate. So we'll start with you, Daniel. Uh, Oklahoma. We're doing spread this week. I found our own twenty four seven has the spread line out pretty quick early on a Sunday afternoon. So, oh man, you want to do spread? I do. We're going to be betting against the spread. Hey, I'm, this is my podcast. I make up the rules, or at least I. I, I make up the outline. You want to make the outline? We'll go with how you want to do it. Uh, <laughs> all right, Dan. How did we do last week? I, I don't want to talk about it. You want to go over them real quick? Yeah, go for it. I got the I got the sheet Let's right here. Let's hear it. Okay, okay. So UT and Oklahoma State, we all picked Texas, yep. so we're we're good there. West Virginia and KU. You and Daniel picked KU. I picked West yep, Virginia. Yep, that was the one I knew. I blew. USC and Utah, me and Daniel picked Utah. You got USC, Jeff, so there, there you go. There you go. Cal versus Ole Miss, all of us picked Cal. Auburn versus A&M, you guys got Auburn, and I picked A&M. <laughs> loser. Uh, Notre Dame and Georgia, we all picked Georgia. Mm-hmm. And TCU versus SMU. We were all wrong on that one, so maybe I did better than I Daniel, thought. Daniel had SMU. No, he didn't. He picked Purdue the week before, though. I got it written down as SMU. Uh, I think he did pick SMU. I had SMU covering the spread. Ah. Yeah, that's why we're TCU TCU winning. Yeah, that's why we're going straight spread here. I found where I can get the lines early in the day. I am not well versed in gambling, just so you guys know that. So uh, now I got it here. All right. Okay. All right, Oklahoma is laying 23. They're a 23-point favorite at Texas Tech. Daniel, does Oklahoma cover the 23 points, yes or no? Oh, yeah. Okay. Jeremy, Oklahoma cover 23 points? Yes. I agree. 
Jeremy, Oklahoma State and Kansas State. Oklahoma State is a seven and a half point favorite against the. It's not the Fighting Snyder Cats anymore. Against Kansas State, who do you have in that game? Oklahoma State's the favorite by seven. Yeah, and they a are half. the seven and a half point favorite. Uh, they'll cover. They'll cover. All right, the game is in Stillwater, so you got you yeah, you got Oklahoma cover. State winning by seven and a half. Daniel, do you have Oklahoma State covering? Totally. Totally. All right, I'm going to agree with you. I, I'm with you on that. We're, we're in agreement on all of that. Baylor is a three-and-a-half-point favorite against Iowa State. I did, I'm did. i not going to lie, I did not see that one coming. That game is in Waco. Baylor is a three-and-a-half favorite against Iowa State. Jeremy? Iowa State. Iowa State. Daniel? Screw Baylor. That's what I figured. I'm going to go with Iowa State. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Cyclones. I think that they uh, knock Baylor off, and uh, I think they look susceptible against Rice. Give me Iowa State. All right, there's been numerous spreads that I've seen. Some were 17, but I'm sticking with 24-7, who has the, the spread at 20 points. The Frogs are at home 11 o'clock this Saturday against the Kansas Jayhawks. Les Miles is coming to Fort Worth. Daniel, do the Frogs cover laying 20? No. No. Jeremy. No. Yes, they do. This is the tiebreaker. This is where I dissent from your lack of faith. Homer! 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 We are going to beat Kansas. We're going to – Max is going to have a great game, and uh, we're going to cover the 20. So, yeah, give me me the Frogs. Uh, Give me the Frogs big at home against the fight in less miles. All right, anything else for the good of the cause, guys? We have gone uh, over an hour here, but, hey, we had a lot to complain about and a lot of great insight. Let's just get that on the table. A lot of great insight from us. So, I think I'm talked out for once. I think so, too. I think I'm going to tap out here. Well, as always, we want to thank you for listening to the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, please go on iTunes, give us a rating and a review, and also subscribe. You can get this show loaded into your phone every Monday morning for your uh, grind of a commute to work. Listen to the Frogcast and all of this high-level expertise in terms of picks, uh, uh, breaking plays down, and looking forward to future games. Also, we want you want to encourage you to go to twenty four seven TCU twenty four seven Sports HornFrogBlitz.com, a great online community that you can join. You will learn all of the the ins and outs of recruiting. You will get insider information, and you will interact with a whole bunch of Frog fans that have the knowledge to run a Power 5 program. You go there and you read our board, you're going to see so many experts that know exactly what we need to do, including the three of us. So until our next show, thank you so much for listening to the Frogcast. I want to thank Jeremy and Daniel, and I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks for listening.